Thank you, Miss Judy. <laughs> all right, now it's time to tell you about all the things we have going on in the church, and we have quite a lot of things. So Tuesday night at 6.30, if you have not signed up already, is the men's dinner at Bennett Point and Grill. And I looked out in the foyer, the whole sheet is almost full, but that doesn't mean there is not room. I'd love to see all the guys get together and go eat because, man, the biggest need these days is to be in face-to-face, -face, real community, having real conversations with people. So I just want to encourage you to go out, spend some time with good, godly people, and, and invest in community here at Bethel. The next thing is on February the 4th. We have something called the Love Life Prayer Walk at 9 a.m. in Chapel Hill. And uh, Ms. Lois and I were at a training for a different um, organization this past weekend, and we learned that North Carolina is one of the leading states for abortion in all of America, second only to California. And that was eye-opening, you know? And so Love Life is a prayer ministry that goes and prays outside of abortion clinics. You're not going to be having a conversation with anybody, you're just there to pray because this is something that the church needs to get behind because we know the battle is won in prayer. And so I would just encourage you all to go out and, and pray. Um, next up, we have a ladies breakfast on the 11th. And if you are new here, we'd love to see you come and just spend time in community with us. It's a potluck, so sign up to bring a dish, come sit with us, enjoy a meal, and enjoy good time with community um, we couldn't leave the ladies out since the men are going, but we'll have some good homemade food at ours. Um, and then last but not least, there is an annual meeting on the 19th. And if you are a member of Bethel, it's so important that you come because there's some big things, as you know, happening in our church. And it wouldn't be a church without its members. And so your voice is important to what's going on here. And you should all come out to that. It's at 6 p.m. on the 19th. So those are the announcements for now. Pastor Larry, if you'll come up. Thank you, Madison. So good to have you here this morning on this Membership Sunday. At the end of the service today, we're going to receive eight new members into our church. Praise God. You can clap on that. Many asked me after service last Sunday came up and said, look, I'm interested in joining as well. Will there be more opportunities? There will be. Uh, we had to put off the uh, New Beginnings class a couple times because of COVID. So we'll be having a couple of those this year. I anticipate having another one in the spring and then maybe later on in the year. So there'll be plenty of opportunities for you to, to join uh, the church and, and become a part of what we're doing here uh, at Bethel. So if you're like me over the last few weeks, uh, it, it, I've, we've gotten up and we watch the news and we see mass shooting after mass shooting and then we get up and then this, just this past week we see the horrific video that is released in Memphis and it, and it makes me angry and it makes me say, God, what is going on in our, in our culture today? And as I thought through that and as I meditated on that just yesterday, I reminded, if you're, if you're here and you've been part of our Wednesday night Bible studies in the past, one of the ones that we just finished, we just finished going through what's known as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus' disciples asked, what's it going to be like at the end of the age, Lord? And he gave several characteristics of what it would be like, and we studied each of those 
and what we can expect as believers. And what struck me was what he told them in Matthew 24, 12 through 14, when he said this, he said, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. But he didn't stop there. So we look at this and we say, what am I supposed to do? I'm angry. I'm angry about what I see. It does appear that we're losing our sense of humanity and love for each other. What am, I, am, I, am I just to go out there and shout and get angry with everyone else? But Jesus said this to them. He said, in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Remember that you carry in you the message of the gospel. You carry in you the message of life. And so I challenge you, this church, church, as we see these things going on and, and, it, and it makes us angry, is to remember to take this message that lives within you, take this spirit that's within you, and take it into your families, take it into your workplaces, take it into your place of influence, because it's still this message that changes the world. And it's okay to be angry about it. I'm angry about it. I know John Knight here has a law enforcement background. Rick does. And to see this and to know how difficult that makes this for the men and women who are trying to do this job, how angry they are about it, that you would treat another person like that. And it's okay to be angry. But let's remember that we carry the message of life and hope. And that's what Jesus challenged his disciples on. And I, I want to leave that with you before we get started this morning. I'm going I'm to be finishing up what we started last week. <clears throat> on the human race and how I finish that today ties right into what I, I just spoke about and last week we started out with that and the key verse was Acts 17 and 26 Acts 17 and 26 and I'll I'll read that again and Tammy will have it up on the screen Paul writing to well actually this was Luke and but this was Paul's words and Paul was talking to the philosophers of his day, the Stoics of his day who were worshiping many gods and he was telling them, no, there is one true God. And of that God he said this, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Lord, I thank you God for your word. I thank you for the praise and worship that's been here already, how your spirit has set the tone to receive your word. And now, God, I pray for your anointing. I pray, God, that my words would be with grace, that my words would be your words, and those out here have the ears to hear it, Lord, in Jesus' name. So last week when we started out this, I didn't think I would finish it, and I didn't. And so, because I didn't want to rush through it because the second half of it is, is important. <clears throat> but I started out with some fundamental truths. And if you still have your outline or if you got a new one, the first fundamental truth is there is one race the human race. And we see that from what Paul said. He said that God has made from one blood every nation. And I talked about why chromosomal Adam and mitochondrial Eve, how even scientists today can prove, say it's a proven fact, that every man in this place, we trace our roots back to one man. And every person in this place traces their roots back to, to one woman. That's fact. Now, we know that man and woman to be Adam and Eve of the Bible because we know this is God's word and we know this is true. They haven't conceded to that yet. But we can say now definitively that all, everybody came from one man and one woman. 
We know that all people are created in the image of God from Genesis 1.26. That's where we get our sense of dignity. That's why people shouldn't be treated as we see people treated. Because every person is treated, is created in the image of God. And then lastly, prejudice and racism on any people group is a sin. It is a sin. And we have those sins within us. We still have the sin nature within us. And it rears its head in many different ways. Lust, greed, racism, those things. But we have the Holy Spirit within us that convicts us of those things. So those were the three fundamental truths. And then if every person came from one blood, if every nation came from one blood, then where, where did the races come from? How does everybody look? I look in here and I see... I see several that look different, skins are a little different, characteristics are different. What created the different races? Well, it wasn't part of a curse. And if you want to study this a bit more, if you won't hear yesterday, there's some people who believe the curse called the curse of Ham, that that's why certain people of darker skin were cursed, and they used it to support slavery. But that's simply not true. And we've talked how if you want to take the Bible and you want to sort through it and you want to make it say what you want to say to support your political position or your wrong ideas, you can do it. But if you take the whole counsel of God, which he challenged us to do, you can't do that. You look at all the things. So it wasn't part of a curse. Many believe that it started at the Tower of Babel. And I, you can study that as well, where... Rather than populating the earth like God had said, they said, no, we're going to go to one place, Shinar, and we're going to build a huge tower. They even said, some said that Nimrod said, okay, God, you destroyed the earth one time with a flood. Try it again. We're going to have a tower high enough that we can escape your waters. You don't do that. And so God confused the language, and they went about, and different people, groups that had the same language spread about the earth, and that's where we got the different characteristics. Answers in Genesis... If you're raising children or grandchildren today, go to Answers in Genesis. Go to Creation Ministries. They're not going to learn this in the schools. They're not going to learn it places up to you as parents who believe this Bible is true. There's people, very, very smart people and scientists. They will tell you a different side. You won't get that in the schools. It's up to you as parents to teach your children these things. And we finished up last week with actually what this is all about, is, particularly as believers, is <clears throat> where do we get our identity? So many today, they get their identity in their race. They get their identity in their profession. We even, in their profession, we even see people today get it in their sexuality. They, you see so much people identify as this, I identify as that. The first place that we will get our true identity and our self-worth is in our relationship with Christ. That's what breaks down all the barriers. Thank you, Dan. That's what breaks them all down. And Paul said that when he was writing to the church at Colossians, in Colossians 3, 9 through 11, when he said this. Have you got that? Okay, that's okay. I'll just read 3, 11. You can, you can look at But writing to the church at Colossians, and he said, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. And he said basically the same thing when he wrote a letter to Galatians, but he also includes male and female. Basically, what Paul was saying, we're no longer Jew and Gentile. We're no longer circumcised and uncircumcised. We're the barbarians were considered the, the uncouth class, the uneducated class. We're no longer separated by class. We're no longer considered slave and free. We're no longer considered male and female. We are all those things still, but that's not where we get our identity. But where Christ is all 
in all. And so that we'll pick up there because one of the biggest attacks on Christianity today, if someone comes to you and says, you mean to tell me this is God's word? You mean to tell me that this gives me everything I need to know for life and godliness? Why didn't it condemn slavery? Why did it condone slavery? Does it condone slavery? How do you answer that question? Because indeed, slavery is in the Bible. But we're going to look at what the Bible says, what the Scripture says about that issue. First, Egypt was the first nation to impose harsh slavery, and it did that on God's people. God chose Moses, and he said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of this slavery, out of this bondage. So God chose these people that were slaves to place his name, to give us the covenants, to give us the prophets, to give us his word, to give us the Messiah. And they traced their roots all the way back to slavery. And not just any slavery, harsh slavery. Look at Exodus 1, 13 through 14. It says, So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. So why in the world would Moses then bring these people out, bring his, the nation out, and then condone or allow such a thing like that to happen? He didn't. He did not. We look at slavery through American lenses. We look at slavery through the horrors of American slavery that was known as chattel, C-H-A-T-T-E-L slavery. It was based on race. It was cruel. They had no rights. And it was wrong. In those days when people were a slave, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they were often referred to as a bond servant. They didn't have a bank to go to. They didn't go down and get them a credit card. If they owed money, if they tried to buy land, they had to say, look, I don't, I don't have this to pay, so I will work for you. I will be your bond servant. And that was very common, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But when you look at the instructions that Moses gave his nation on how to deal with those bond servants, you'll see it's very different from what we know as the horrors of American slavery. I'm going to list several from, for you here. I'm going to just list these. There's a scripture that goes with every one of these. I didn't give them all to Tammy. One, she'd have killed me if I gave her that much scripture. But two, if you want this, I'll be glad to share this with you. But here is what Moses' instructions that Moses gave. <clears throat> a, a slave could voluntarily decide to stay as a slave. When a slave was freed, he was to receive gifts that enabled him to survive economically. A Hebrew slave could become free after six years of service, released during the year of Jubilee, due to injury and by purchasing his own freedom. An escaped slave was not to be returned, as was property. The slave was a member of the master's household, was required to rest on the Sabbath. A slave could inherit property and was sometimes trusted advisors. The treatment of slaves was not to be severe. A master who punished his slave, who then died, was to be punished himself, possibly with death. Kidnapping someone to make them a slave was prohibited. That's very different than what you read in the history books and what you see that described American slavery. Very, very different. And it was wrong. 
And you know, when I think about American slavery, when I think about the horrors of it, and I ask myself, I shared with you last week how myself and another pastor were riding with a, a lady by the name of Gloria Rentrope. She's in her 70s, a black female, and how we rode past the what is now the School of Science and Math, and it was a hospital way, way back. And she said, yeah, I remember. She said there was an entrance for blacks and there was an entrance for whites. And I'm sitting there going, how did that happen? Who, who could have thought that was right? Who, who could have thought that what the horrors of, of American slavery, who could have thought, whoever thought that was right? But, you know, as I thought through that this week, church, and I was meditating over that, I think about the, the issue of abortion today. And I'm thinking, who, who thinks this is right? And I just, I just saw on the news this morning where Minnesota just signed the most um, open abortion laws that you can, you can make a decision to abort. There's no guardrails. They're right up to the very end of the third trimester. Who thinks that's right? But it's become so ingrained in our culture that many do. And the same was with slavery. They just thought it was right. And some defended it. Just like we have some today to defend abortion. We have Christians today. Many people say they're Christians that are fighting for this. But we have others on our side that say we think this is wrong. And we think this is wrong because of what the Word of God teaches. And the same was true with the issue of American slavery. You had a lot of people who took God's Word and said this is wrong. This is wrong. You had men like William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce. He opposed white-on-black slavery, not by examining the passages on slavery, because the slaveries were of a different type. Racial slavery was opposed because it was seen as to be contrary to the value that God placed on every human being and the fact that God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. It was also William Wilberforce who wrote in his diary when he was 28, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of morals. With others, he labored despite determined opposition to finally abolish the British slave trade. And here in America, despite such opposition, determined opposition, many Methodist, Baptist, and Presbyterian members freed their slaves and sponsored black congregations in which many black ministers encouraged slaves to, be, to believe that their freedom could be gained in their lifetime. Two abolitionists, one named George Cheever and the other one named George Bourne, they used the Bible, logic, and reason extensively in contending against the institution of slavery, and in particular, the chattel form as it was seen in the South. In Cheever's speech entitled, The Fire and Hammer of God's Word Against the Sin of Slavery, his desire for eliminating the crime of slaveholding is clear as he goes as far as to address it to the president. God's Word. People who knew God's Word fought against that. It was a very, very different form of slavery. So when people come and attack the Bible, it was a very different form of slavery. It wasn't the brutal form. And many Christians were instrumental in doing away with it. Philemon. Philemon. I asked maybe, I don't know if you had a chance to read the book of Philemon, but Philemon was a, was a wealthy man. And I hope you'll read it. If you didn't read it, go out today and read the book of Philemon. It's one chapter, 25 verses. But in this case, what happened is because what, what, the, what the, those who fought against slavery who used the word of God and for those of us who are fighting against abortion, 
It's okay to go out and fight for an external fight. That's okay. But what's going to change it is when people become redeemed, when people begin to understand God's word, when the Holy Spirit begins to make God's word alive, and then they begin to see this is wrong. This is wrong. And I think too many times in our culture we think the purpose of a relationship with someone, a purpose to leading someone to Christ is they be saved, good, bada bing, they're done, let's move on. That's, that's true. But the purpose of that church is that then that person and we, we begin to redeem a lot of things. God came to redeem a lot of things. And then that person who now is a redeemed person goes into their family and begins to change the structure and the dynamics of their family in their workforce. And it begins to change cultures. And that's what changes things. During the March for Life just a couple days ago, I heard a young lady say this. She said, we don't want to think about abortion in terms of legal and illegal. We don't want to think about, we want to think about it in terms of unthinkable. And that's a change of heart. And we see that played out in this story of Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy man. How do I know that? He had a house church in Colossae. That means his home would have been big enough. So he had church, the church of Colossae where the book of Colossians was written to. They met in his home. And he had a slave named Onesimus. Was not uncommon then. Onesimus was likely a bondservant. He would have owed Philemon some money or something. And so he was a bondservant. Well, what happened was Onesimus fled. Some said he may have uh, stolen some money from Philemon or he may actually damage some of Philemon's property. And he fled. He ran from Coloss. And he ends up in Rome. He ends up in Rome. Well, he has an encounter. He meets Apostle Paul. I don't know how he met Paul. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he meets Paul. And Paul does what Paul does. He leads him to Jesus Christ. Paul didn't say anything to him about why you're here, about him being a bondservant, about the ills of that. He didn't, he didn't say anything about that. As best we can tell, the Bible doesn't tell us that he did. But surely when Onesimus encountered Paul, I would imagine Paul did say, what are you doing here? And he likely said, hey, I've, I've run from Colossus, I've run from my master Philemon, and I, I don't want to go back. And so Paul doesn't begin to speak of all the social ills of that, although there, there, there were. You know what he says? You know what I'm going to do, Onesimus? I'm going to send you back. I'm going to send you back. But I'm not just going to send you back. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to write a letter to Philemon. And not only did he write that letter, he also wrote the book of Colossians. And he sent those letters back with Philemon because Philemon went back. But he did not write about the ills of slavery. He didn't write all those things. I want to, I want to read to you what he did write. And Tammy's going to pull that up. Before he, before he started, he told Philemon, when he sent this letter back to Philemon, he said, he, he praised him. He said, look, I've heard about your love for the saints. I've heard about all these things that you have done, all the good work that you've done, how you love the saints. That's what he tells Philemon. But then he says this to him in verses 8 through 16. Paul says, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, Yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul was in prison in Rome for his faith. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in the chains, who was once profitable to you, but is profitable to you and me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, 
whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is what Paul was saying to Philemon. He was saying, Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. And you say that you're a brother in the Lord. You say you're a follower of Christ. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. Because if I send him back to you and you can't receive him back and you're like, you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what he owes me. He's done me wrong. I'm going to get even with Onesimus, Paul. That's not the way this is going to work. That's going to tell the Apostle Paul all he needs to know about his relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced there's so many today, they come to the Lord and they like this idea, maybe coming to church every once in a while. I might even throw a little money in the plate. But the moment this thing costs me anything, I'm out. Still the number one indicator, church, of us and our true relationship is obedience. Jesus said to those who love me, they'll keep my commandments. And it's hard. We don't do it. We don't do it perfectly. I'm not perfect. I can promise you that. But that's what Paul was saying to Philemon. He's coming back to you. But, but Philemon, he's not coming back as your slave. He's coming back as a brother in the Lord. Because what Paul knew, look, I could get out there and I could maybe could go and say this is wrong and that is wrong. But he knew if I come back, if, if, if Philemon has really had a change of heart, then I don't worry about him doing wrong anymore. I don't worry about him. I worry then he's going to look at these social ills and say these things are wrong. And the change comes from the inside out. And that's what Christ came to deal with. He came to deal with our hearts. He came to deal with our hearts. And once our hearts begin to change, then our actions begin to change. And there's no better example of that than the Lord, our, than the Lord himself, our perfect example. And that as a woman at the well. Now, I'm not going to read that entire it's found in John 4. I'm not going to read that entire scripture to you. I, I mentioned maybe you would want to read that as well this week. But I will summarize it for you. So Jesus is on his way with his disciples. And he tells his disciples, he said, look, I need, I need, it's interesting, I need to go through Samaria. Well, that, was, that, that alone would have been a statement that his disciples would have been going, what are you talking about you need to go to Samaria? Because the the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans was so strong that the Jews wouldn't even go through Samaria. They went around Samaria, and it was a long track. But Jesus said, no, I need to go to Samaria. And maybe you've read the Scriptures before, and maybe you know that, hey, you, I know there's always been some animosity because the Scripture says that between the Jews and the Samaritans. But it wasn't until I really read this and studied this that I realized the level of that hostility. It went back 700 years all the way back, you can read it in 2 Kings chapter 17. When Israel failed, Israel was sin, had sinned. God had said, look, you keep sinning and you're going to, there's going to be judgment. Same is true for us today. You keep sinning, there's going to be judgment. Well, judgment came and the Assyrians came in and captured the Israelis. And they took them captive. And this was in Samaria. Well, some of the Jews remained. And the Assyrians came in. And some of the Jews began to intermarry with the Assyrians, which was a violation of God's law. 
And then they begin to, to pervert the worship of Yahweh with other gods. And that's where the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans started. They couldn't even worship in the same place, so the Samaritans built their own temple. And the Jews burned it down. And then as I read, it said that at the time Jesus would have been born, that a group of Samaritans went into the temple in Jerusalem and threw dead people's bones in there to, con to, to desecrate their temple. So this wasn't just some haphazard, well, I don't really like you and you don't like me. This would have been like the KKK and the Black Panthers. They hated each other. Surely there were some exceptions. But there was religious walls. There was... Uh, Gender walls, because Jesus wasn't supposed to talk to a woman. There was racial walls, all these walls. But Jesus said, I need to go to Samaria. There's a woman there, and all those walls are there, but I need to go see her. And he goes there. And, he, and, and you could, this is also a great example of, of evangelism. You want to know how to, evangelism, how to evangelize? You, you, you read this story and learn from the best. But he goes there, and he didn't, he didn't start with... Anything other than, he said, give me a drink of water. Give me a drink of water. But guess where she started? She said, why are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan, to give you a drink of water? She went right to the racial barriers. She went right to the gender barriers. Because there was another problem that she really didn't want to deal with. There was another problem that if Jesus, where he wanted to get to, because he knows if I get to that problem, the other problems will solve themselves. Why are you a Jew, a man, talking to me, a Samaritan? She's in all these natural barriers. He's going to the spiritual problem. He said, if you knew who it was that asked you, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. You ain't even got anything to draw with. She tries to stay over here in the natural. And she said, I, you know, you, you Jews, you worship here, but we worship on this mountain. And he engages this conversation with her because there's another issue. There's a bigger issue that she don't want to deal with. But it's what Christ came to deal with. And he says it, and he exposes it with this. He says, go get your husband. Go get your husband. And she said, I don't have one. He said, you're right. You've had five, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. See, she didn't want to go there. She wanted to talk about water and wells and worship and barriers and racial barriers. She didn't want to go to where the problem was. But he took her there. But he was kind to her. He was kind to her. And then I think, I think at that point, I sensed that maybe her whole approach to Jesus changed because she said, you know, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus chose to reveal his Messiahship to the lowest of low in the class that day. That's the God that we serve. He wasn't careless. He doesn't want to hear your racial prayers. Yes, there's racial problems. Yes, there's gender problems. Yes, there's all these problems. But what is the answer? The answer is a personal relationship with Christ. The answer is dealing with our sin in our own hearts. And then we have to go out and say, God, what do you say? How do you say I'm supposed to treat people? And we go and do that. That's what changes people. And that's what Jesus knew. That's what Jesus I'm not going to go into the story of the Good Samaritan. You can read that based on the history that I just gave you of the Samaritans. You can imagine that the moment a Jew heard the word Samaritan, the walls went up. And you can read the story of the Good Samaritan found in Luke 10, 25 through 37. So how do we deal with the race issues today then? 
What do we do? Well, for, first, I got four things here if you want to take a look at them. First, we're to take every thought captive. Every thought captive. Second Corinthians, Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You still have those, you still got that sin nature. You still have those things when something happens. Let somebody pull out in front of you in an automobile, or maybe it's just me, when you're in a hurry, and think about some of the things that go through your head. And the Bible says, stop them right there. Take them captive right there. And say, God, this is not for me. I've shared with some of you many times from this pulpit that back when all the protests were happening in downtown Durham and I was having to work those, when you're out there and you have people holding signs that say terrible things about you and the people that you care for throwing rocks at you, doing all kinds of things, shouting all types of things at you, it can have a tendency to make things in your mind that don't need to be there. And I would sit in my car before I would head back home and I'd say, God, forgive me for the things that I have thought of. Because I purposed in my heart, I will not let this culture that seeks to divide everybody and make everybody hate each other, make me hate my fellow man. Because if I'm your child, then you've told me, you've commanded me to see people the way you see them. And it wasn't a suggestion. Jesus said, love those that hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. That's one of the hardest commands he's ever given. But it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command to us. So we have to take, take thoughts captive. We're to overcome evil with good, Romans 12 and 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It would be real easy. I can see where people would get so angry to go out at the things they've seen and then also want to harm someone. That is not for the follower of Christ. We can't do that. We cannot repay evil for evil. We overcome evil with good. We are to be ministers of reconciliation, not division. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them as has committed us to the word of reconciliation. The first ministers of reconciliation we're to be is to call people to be reconciled with God through Christ. We're to witness to people. We're to be his witnesses to say, come to Christ. That's our first call as ministers of reconciliation. But we're also called to be ministers of reconciliation in our culture. We're not to be the ones out there spewing the hate and the division. No matter what's said to us or about us, he's called us to be ministers of reconciliation. And lastly, remember the diversity of the current and the coming kingdom. The kingdom of God is very, very diverse. Every tribe, nation, and tongue. Now, we have brothers and sisters that are every tribe, nation, and tongue. When I, when I did this, uh, the first half of this, Tammy reminded me of, of what happened a few years ago at Evangel Assembly of God. 
Pastor J.B. Ellis was the pastor there. And they had been trying to build a multi-purpose building. And man, he wanted to see that building built. But they went through so many hurdles with the city to trying to get it built. And he passed away before that building could be built. But it is a very, very diverse church. They have a large uh, Latino population. They have a lot of Filipinos. They have whites. They have Africans. And when I say Africans, brother and sister Eki Eni, I still remember them, love them dearly. They would come to church dressed in the African dress. I thought that was cool. I still do. It was kind of, kind of weird to see Colin and Madison in it, but it was, it was neat to see them in it. And that's what that church looks like. And what they did to, to dedicate that building, uh, they did it in honor of Pastor Ellis, and we got a chance to go because we'd been members there for, before, and my dad is, is still a member there. And it, it was an evening service, and we went in, and the place is crowded. The new building they have is crowded. And what they did, they had every nation that was represented there. They had their flag, and if they had a dress that was unique to their nation, they would dress in that. And I would say there was at least 15 nations represented. Brother Dan, many of those were Latino because you have like Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico. You have a lot of those, as, as we would have with La Roca Church. But they also had several other nations. And what they did is they would take that flag and they would come out and they would be playing the national anthem of that nation and people would be clapping for the nation that was represented there. And that would do that one by one. And then the last two flags, the last flag, next to the last flag to come out was the Israeli flag. They had a Messianic Jew there, and he'd come down, and the place really did become energized. But then it was a pause, and then the American flag came out, and the place erupted with, 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 with clapping for the American flag because of the freedoms that we have here, and they could come here and worship and be a part of this nation. And Tammy looked over at me and she said, this is what the kingdom of God will look like. And I said, you're absolutely right. And because that's what Revelation 7, 9 through 10, that's what it's going to look like when John looks up and he says, and these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And it won't be around a flag, it will be around the throne of God, crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God, and he who sits on to the throne and to the Lamb. That's what the, nation, the kingdom of God is going to look like. It's represented in here. I see many different people who look, but that is what the kingdom of God looks like. And advancing that and moving forward is what's going to deal with our social ills today. It's okay to get on the outside and stand for what you believe in from a political uh, standpoint or, or some other standpoint, but the thing that is really going to change what's happening in our culture and in our world is when someone has a real encounter with Jesus Christ and that heart begins to change. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you. This has been a hard topic for me. But your word's clear on it. Your word is clear on it. And I thank you, Lord, for something that I can look to, no matter what's going on in our culture, no matter the violence, no matter the hatred. Where do we find comfort? Where do we find comfort? Where do we find answers? Where do we find truth? We find it in your word. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. And I thank you that I live in a diverse nation. And I thank you that your kingdom is diverse. 
And I pray, God, for my heart and for anyone's heart, Lord, as, as, as Satan, and that's who it is, as Satan tries to divide us, may we remember who we are in you. God, may we get our identity in you. And may we hear and remember the words of Paul, that we're not separated by any of these things anymore when we come to you. That we're in you, and that's where we get our identity. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. We want to receive our new members. So I've got some names I want to call out, and when I do this, I want to ask if you will to come forward. John Knight. Teresa Knight. Judith Stallwork. Patricia Randall. Commonly known as Trish. Robert Randall, better known as Bob. Pamela Isaacs. Louise Satterwhite. And Lois Delaney. I'm going to come down there in just a minute. I'm going to see, is there a microphone I can take with me? I'm going to ask uh, uh, each of you when, you, when we finish today, if you'll see Sister Teresa uh, in the office, and, and we'll make sure we have everything signed that we need to, to get signed. Some of you, I know personally, I've gotten to know most of you, and some of you have already been coming to the church for a while and have been wanting to get a class going but due to COVID, we couldn't. But it, it's my honor to have you guys join our church. We're so glad you're here with us. And um, what I want to do, I'm just going to read. Uh, you all have filled out the membership application. You've been through the New Beginnings class. And so I'm just going to read you a series of questions, and then you will just answer with yes, okay? And you can answer collectively. I'm not going to go through each one, so... Do you love God as your heavenly father? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Will you commit yourself to live in the love of the Holy Spirit? Will you pledge yourself to be faithful to this local body of believers by your regular attendance and dedicate yourself faithfully to place your giving into this storehouse? So what I want to do now is I'm going to ask church, if you all would stand and confirm this, Bethel, will you commit to love and support these new members on their walk of faith as they continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Yes. Well, to each one of you, we want to say welcome to Bethel Christian Center. We love you. We're so glad that you're here. Each of you have got giftings. 
And we know that God is going to take those giftings and use them here. Many of you have already been in some, involved in some of the ministries. So thank you. We love you. And what we're going to do now, the church, as the praise and worship team plays, I'm going to ask if uh, starting over here, if we'll just come through and let's shake their hand and let's receive these new members into our fellowship. Consider yourselves dismissed. God bless you. And we hope to see you Wednesday night, Friday night prayer, and next Sunday. God bless you.